If you want to open up to Philippians, starting in verse 20 of uh, chapter 1, and go all the way through 2.11. So Philippians 1.20. It is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, not frightened at anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him, bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Well, this is kind of a long section, uh, but there's a couple themes that go throughout this whole section, and so we're going to kind of do an overarching picture of what are the main things Paul's saying here from the end of chapter 1 all the way through the end of what is commonly called the Christ hymn? What are some of the main themes? And we'll start by asking this question. Why are we here? Why are we here? That's really what Paul's dealing with at the end of chapter 1. He says that it would be far better for him to die and be with Christ. And he's hard-pressed between the two. He wants to depart and be with Christ. He says that's far better. And he has a real struggle here. He's, he's in prison. 
We don't know exactly what this means, but it's possible that he could have just kind of given up. You know, he's struggling, I'm sure, in in prison. And he's thinking about heaven. He's thinking about being with the Lord and thinking how much better that is. And so what what about us? If you're a Christian, it's the same for you, isn't it? Why are you here? Is it true that it would be better not to be here? Yes, it actually would be far better. Um, think about all the physical difficulties. Maybe you're sick. Maybe you're getting older. Um, maybe there's emotional difficulties. Loss that you're dealing with. Just feeling down. You know, intellectual difficulties. There's a lot of things. You know, it's not a light thing to have some idea or something that bothers you and continually bothers you. It's it's not a light thing. And then spiritual difficulties. All those are going to be fixed when we go to heaven. We're not going to have the physical pain anymore. God's going to be there to be our counselor for um, all the things we suffered and dealt with and he's going to wipe away every tear from our eye. He's going to be there to answer our questions. And if we don't need to know, he's going to be right there just to tell us that's you don't need to know that. And spiritual difficulties, we're not going to have to worry about sinning anymore. We're going to be perfected. All these things are going to be dealt with. So you can see it's far better for the Christian to depart and be with Christ. So why are you still here? Why are you still here? Why does Paul feel like he needs to still be here on this earth? Well, look what he says here at the end of this section, verse 24 at the end of chapter 1. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. He's here for others. He he says, for me, it would be better for me personally to depart. It's going to be better when I am with the Lord. But I'm here for others. I want to stay. I'm convinced that I'm going to stay because I'm here not for me. I'm not here for me. I'm here for others. I used to uh, joke with the janitors when we would have a day where it's just the teachers and the staff and there's no kids, and I would tell the janitors, we could keep this place clean and we'd get everything done we need to get done if we didn't have these kids running around all the time. And that's true. Things would be a lot easier, but, you're, but I would miss the whole point of having a school, right, if there's no kids. <laughs> And that's kind of the way it is in this life. You know, There's a lot of things that would be a lot easier if they were gone. But we're here for others. And it's messy. And it's hard. But that's the whole point. And this idea of otherness, if you want to call it that, runs through this whole section. And that's one of the main things that this is talking about. He says, he, Paul says he's here for others. And then he goes on in chapter 2 to exhort them to be living for others, and then he gives Christ as an example as one who was here for others. He came just like we, Paul talks about for himself. Would it be better for Christ to stay in heaven? Absolutely. To stay with the Father, not to take on flesh, not to have to humble himself, not to suffer. Of course. But he didn't come for his own comfort. He came for others. And so this runs through this whole section, this otherness, And it gives us a feel. I mean, you and I 
are going through difficulty. I mean, just COVID-19 stuff, let alone all the personal things going on in your life. Why are you here? God could, you know, take everyone up uh, who's his and your difficulties would be over. But we've got to remember we're here for others. It's the difference between seeing our life as a mission trip or as a vacation. You know, I remember when some of the guys went down to Texas for when there was uh, that flooding. I think it was, was it a hurricane? And they helped. Now, if you're going down there and your mindset is, I, I want whatever is going to be most physically, emotionally, and spiritually comfortable for me. You're not going to be there for very long. Because you've got a home and kids and a fridge full of food and a soft bed. And when things start to get difficult, you just say, ah, I'm, I'm ready to go. I'm going to go back home. It wouldn't, you wouldn't be there for very long. But if you remember, you're not here for you. right? You're here to help these other people who are in a worse situation than you. And you've got something to look forward to. You've got all these things um, waiting for you. But you wait, you stay to help others. You hold on for others. And that's really the way Christ lived his life. He came constant, constant difficulty that he didn't have to endure because he was here for others. And that's why we're here too. And to have that mindset, I'm not here for me. So that runs through this whole section. Now, there's a, there's a lot here, and like I said, we're just going to do an overview. But what is the motivation for this otherness? What's the motivation? How do we, if that's what we want, we want to do nothing out of selfish ambition, but in humility count others as more significant than ourselves. How are we going to motivate that? If that's what I want for me. That's what God wants for you. How are we going to get all of us on the same page and try and get all of us together doing this one thing. There's a lot of different ways we could motivate. Like, think about last week, we talked about shame. Paul could say, would you really want to stand before Jesus and live your whole life focused on you? Would you really feel good about that? Wouldn't you feel ashamed about that on the day of Christ? He, He could say that, kind of motivate through shame. And actually, Paul does that in 1 Corinthians. He says to the Corinthians, don't go on sinning. Um, some have no knowledge of God, and I say this to your shame. So he, in the past, you know, he's done that. Um, he's telling them, this is, this is shameful. But he doesn't do that here. How else could we motivate? Well, it could be through, you know, maybe appealing to your pride. Don't you want to be like a great Christian? Don't you want to be uh, one of the inner circle? Don't you want to look at these Christians in the past and how great they were? Don't you want to be like them? That could motivate you. If you want to be a great Christian, if you want to be like Whitfield and you want to be like some of these other people that people look up to, then, then you, you should put others first like they did. That's not what Paul does either. And really the only passage like that is actually when the disciples ask him who's going to be the greatest. That's kind of their motivation. They want to be great. And he says, 
Jesus answers, whoever humbles himself like a child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So he kind of says when they're wanting, they're, they're, that's their motivation. I want to be great. He says, the person that's going to be great is going to be like this kid who's not trying to be great. And so he kind of turns their motivation away from that. He doesn't really, he's not wanting them to live like that. He's wanting them to be the least. Um, what else? What could be accomplishment, you know? Uh, I actually read a quote from a book that basically said, what are you trying to build with your life? Is it a ministry, a family, you know, whatever it is, um, you need to be humble because God gives grace to the humble. And if you want God to use you and you want to do get, accomplish all these things, then you need humility. Well, the motivation for that is basically, do you want to accomplish something? Well, then be humble. But that's not what Paul says either. What does he say here? Look, look what he says at, in the beginning of chapter 2. If there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being of full accord and of one mind. Do nothing in from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others as more significant than yourselves. So he gives a motivation here, and this kind of ties in with the second theme that runs all the way through, which is unity. Verse 27, he's talking about wanting them to strive side by side for the faith of the gospel. Uh, here he's talking about he's wanting them to have this one mind, this unity. That's the other theme that kind of runs throughout this whole section is unity. But unity over what? Over this one mind, otherness. Uh, looking to others. Having the mind of Christ. And his motivation here that he gives is these three ifs. If there's any encouragement in Christ. If there's any comfort from love. Any participation in the spirit. And then there's a fourth that doesn't fit the first three formula. Any affection and sympathy. That's his motivation. And there's kind of a play on words here that's not super clear. Um, but when he says do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, the word conceit is this word empty glory. It's like you're, you're trying to fill up glory for yourself, but it's empty. It's not real. And then it goes on in the Christ hymn to say that Jesus emptied himself for the glory of the Father. So it's contrasting these two pictures of you're wanting something for yourself, kind of selfish ambition, uh, conceit, you're trying to fill up, where Jesus had all that. He had glory with the Father. He had equality with God. And he's doing the opposite. He's emptying himself, not for his own glory, not conceit, but for God's glory. And it's contrasting those two pictures. So why are we here? We're here for others, otherness. And then what motivates us to move out in that? The question I have, uh, is it emptiness or fullness that is motivating us? Because we could do all the right things, quote unquote, with Emptiness. We're trying to fill something. I'm, I've got an ambition. I want to accomplish something because that will make me feel better about myself. 
I'm looking to fill some need I have. Or uh, I want to be great. If I do a lot of good things and I'll feel better about myself and I'll feel like I have worth and value like we talked about last week. And so that's motivating me to do these things. And that's moving out of a place of selfish ambition and emptiness, really. You're trying to fill something. I'm acting, and I'm acting this way so I can fill a lack in my life, in my heart, feel valuable, feel like God loves me, whatever it is, accomplish something. Um, Or we can move out of a fullness, whereas if you already have an encouragement in Christ, if you're comforted by love, if you have a partnership, participation with the Spirit, then out of the overflow of that, you can empty yourself because you're already full. You can humble yourself. You can take on things that don't um, make you necessarily feel, feel great uh, in terms of your, your worldly status. You can lay that down. If there's a situation where you can pour out but you receive shame back like Jesus did, that's okay because you're already full. You have what you want and your needs have already been met in Jesus and so you can pour out. You're coming from a place of fullness, not emptiness trying to get something that you don't have. You're pouring out because you've already been filled. And that's very different. And so I'm actually going to read you a quote here. Um, Kind of, so kind of strange. You probably weren't expecting me to quote Madonna this morning, but I'm I'm going to. Um, I don't really know much about Madonna other than she's famous. Uh, I think I think she's a singer. Um, I guess I don't really know much, but this is a quote from her, and it's really about her motivation. What motivates her? And I want you to think about this: Is it an emptiness or a fullness? that is pushing her activity. So here's this quote. I have an iron will, and all, of, and all of my will has always been to conquer some horrible feeling of inadequacy. I push past one spell of it and discover myself as a special human being, and then I get to another stage and think, I'm mediocre and uninteresting, again and again. My drive in life is from this horrible feel, f- horrible fear of being mediocre. And that's always pushing me, pushing me, because even though I've become, quote, somebody, I still have to prove I'm somebody. My struggle has never ended, and it probably never will. So think about this. Your whole life is trying to fill this void, this emptiness, right, that she has. I I don't feel valuable. I don't feel like I'm uh, important. I don't feel uh, these things about myself. I don't really feel like uh, I'm, quote-unquote, somebody, and so I'm always pushing to fill that. And so I'm accomplishing, I'm doing, and I feel good for a little bit, and then that emptiness comes back, and so I'm working, and I'm working, I'm working, and it's coming from outside, it's coming from what I do, it's coming from others' view of me, and I'm trying to fill this void, and that's what's motivating all my actions. Now compare that to the Christ hymn here in, in Philippians 2, starting in verse 4. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others, 
have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So that's the unity. What The unity is based on this one mind that we all have, this otherness that comes from Christ, who, verse 6, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Just the opposite. There's every all the you know all the glory that anyone could ever want Christ had, and He's willing to lay it down. He deserves honor, and He's willing to take on shame. He deserves to be served, but He's willing to do the opposite and go and serve. Just the opposite of of Madonna there. And what about us? What should motivate us in our Christian life? Well, Paul says the motive, the ground for this, both the unity and the otherness in our life is encouragement in Christ, comfort from love, and participation in the Spirit. Where we ought to move out of this fullness that comes where? In Christ, in love, and in the Spirit. And out of that, we can pour out into others. We don't have to worry about ourselves makes me think this is kind of a this is not a perfect illustration but it makes me think of the kids at school so imagine there's kids at school and maybe they're picking on another kid and making fun of them the kids that don't have a good home life aren't usually the kids that step in and call everyone out and say stop picking on this kid. like leave this kid alone why is that well, it's because in their heart they're thinking I don't want them to turn on me and start picking on me. They're, they're desperate for acceptance. And if they don't have it at home, and then they know if I step in here, I might lose my acceptance with the only people that really accept me, which are these kids here at school. I'm just going to try and stay in the background because I don't want to lose that. Whereas the kids who have a good home life, who are, who are secure, are usually the kids who are more will stand up and step in and say, you know, you shouldn't be doing this. I don't care what you guys think or say. You need to stop. This is wrong. And it's really from a place of fullness. They, they don't need the acceptance of the crowd because a lot of times they have a good home life. And they're, they know this is right, this is wrong, and, and they've got some security there. And that's kind of a picture, an earthly picture of, of us as Christians. We have a father. We have a secure home. We, ha- we know our Father loves us. We're not worried about rejection here and because we know at home we've got acceptance and we've been filled. And, and that's through Jesus. He loves us. We know that. We've been encouraged. We're, we've got the Spirit with us. And so that we can move out and that's okay. It's okay if we're rejected. It's okay if people don't like us. It's okay if we don't get honor because we've got it. We've already have it. We've already been filled in Jesus.
there's a real danger, and I never really noticed this, but there's a real danger of moving out, even in the Christian life, because you're seeking maybe confirmation or, or seeking really to fill that emptiness. Think about this. This is pretty amazing, really. Two out of the three temptations of Jesus by the devil start with this. If you're the Son of God, then. Think about that. If you're the Son of God, then do this. He's really attacking his identity. Yeah, but if you're really, if you really have a relationship with God, then why don't you prove it? Move out, move out, move out in your actions in a way that proves who you really that you really do have this relationship with God. He doesn't do it. Jesus doesn't do it, does he? He's secure already in this relationship. He knows. He doesn't have to prove to the devil that he's the son of God. He, he's secure in this relationship. It's kind of like the prayer. This is pretty amazing. In, I think it's John 12. Pretty sure it's John 12. Where Jesus prays and the voice comes from heaven. You remember what Jesus says? They're arguing about what the voice was. Some said it was angels. Some said it was thunder. And Jesus says, this came not for me, but for you. The voice from heaven came for the others around him. He's saying, I, I already knew God heard me. That's what the voice says. It says, he, Jesus prays, glorify um, your name. And the Father says, I have glorified it and I will glorify it. And Jesus said, this came not for me, but for you. So what is he saying? He's saying, when I prayed, I don't need to hear God talk from heaven. I know he heard me. I already knew he heard me. That was for you guys to hear. And so you would know that God heard that's pretty amazing, really. He's moving from a place of total security in God. He doesn't have to prove it to the devil. He doesn't have to have this miracle happen. He knows, I, I have a father who loves me and who's listening to me, and I'm secure in that. It's the same with the disciples. Remember when in John 16, the disciples, he tells them, you're all going to desert me, and he says, but I'm not alone. The father's with me. That's pretty amazing. He's saying, yeah, every, you're all gonna, everyone on earth is going to desert me, but I won't be alone. Why? I've got the Father. The Father is with me. That's amazing. He is able to move out in these ways because of the fullness that he has with the Father, this relationship with the Father. And we're supposed to imitate him. We're supposed to follow Christ, be like him, Love others even when it means we're rejected. Even when it means we suffer. What does this mean practically for us? It means it's really, really, really important for you as a Christian to know these things. Like to be filling your soul as you can, reading, praying, reminding yourself of the encouragement in Christ, of the comfort from love, and the participation in the Spirit. Like, you need to know, uh, my value comes from Jesus. Jesus loves me, and that, that's what matters. The Father loves me, and that's why he sent Jesus. The reason it's so important is Paul is making it the ground both of our unity, you and me, um, and of our otherness. So when, when we're 
reading the Bible, when we're talking to one another, we need to continually preach the gospel to ourselves so that out of that fullness we can move out in ways that we couldn't otherwise. I'll give you an example. If you get up in the morning and you remind yourself, my value comes from Christ, my value comes from Christ today. It's not my uh, accomplishments. It's not my um, compliments from other people. It's not anything around me that gives me value. It's Jesus. If you remember that, then you, you don't have to prove your value to anyone. You can take the role of a servant that people don't see, and that's okay. Because people don't have to see it. You're already secure. You can place yourself in a, quote, less valuable situation, maybe worldly-wise. You could take the job that pays less, or you could take the job that's not as prestigious. Or you can turn down grad school, even though you got accepted, because you feel like that's not what God wants. All those things in terms of the world will make you feel valuable. If you, I just got an email the other day that somebody signed, you know, so-and-so, Ph.D., whatever, whatever. It's like, sure, that sounds valuable. I mean, you, if you can write that after your name, I'm sure you kind of feel like a little bit good. It's like, man, I got, I'm a doctor, Dr. So-and-so. And that's, uh, that's even in the Christian world, you know, pastor Pastor so-and-so, Ph.D. Um, but you know what? If you are so secure in Jesus that he's where your, your value comes in, you don't need that. You don't have to get that. You don't have to pursue that. You could if God wants you to. But if you do it, it's, a, it's from a place of fullness, uh, not because you're trying to fill some void. And so you can turn those things down. You can, you know, like I said, not go to grad school, not take the promotion, not take the higher job, not get the uh, bigger house, what, whatever it is, not the, get the uh, Rolls Royce, just get uh, Ford. <laughs> whatever it is, you can turn it down because you're secure. You're not trying to fill something. If you know the same, so it's, it's important that, that you preach this to yourself, that you remind, I just told Jess this the other day, she uh, it was yesterday. We were talking, and I said, remember, God loves you. You're valued by God, you know. And it's something we can do to one another, and we need. Not only, you know, value, but think about this. I'm loved by Jesus. If, I'm, if I know, and I know that I know, and I'm telling myself, I'm preaching to myself, I'm memorizing verses, I'm filling my heart with these things, uh, and you are reminding me, and I'm reminding you, and then what? If I know that I'm loved by Christ, it's okay if I'm rejected by others because I'm accepted by Him. It's okay if others don't like me or, or even hate me because I've got, I can fall back on the love of Jesus and that's what really matters. Whether I live or I die, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Right? And so you can put yourself in difficult situations. I mean, for example, evangelism. You want to go do evangelism, you're going to get rejected. That's just going to be part of it. People are going to ignore you. People are going to uh, turn aside and act like you're not there. Or worse sometimes. Uh, if we're going to do that, if we're going to 
put ourselves out there in these difficult situations. We've got to have this. We've got to know this. We've got to remind one another of this. We've got to be unified in this. Think about other situations. Another example might be foster care. I mean, foster care is a difficult situation sometimes. It can be. If what, what about teaching? You've got two classes. I'll give you an example. This is You've got two classes. You could teach... Um, AP science, which is like, you know, honor science or whatever, or you could, you know, teach somewhere where it's the kids that dropped out and they're trying to get them to come back. One of those is going to be more difficult than the other. What's our motive in choosing between the two? Is it, well, I, I, I know that this position is more honored and I would feel kind of good if, you know, if there's some competition and people want this and it's kind of an honor, so I'm going to take that. Or is it, I'm full, I've got all the honor I need in Jesus, I know he loves me, and this is an opportunity to love others. And so I'm going to take the one that's going to actually bring suffering into my life. Why? Well, because I have comfort in Christ. I'm not, I'm not there, I'm not here on this earth for me and my comfort. I'm here for others, and so I can step into this place where I know I'm bringing difficulty into my life because I'm not here for me and because I've got encouragement in Christ. I've got the love of Christ. I've got the Spirit helping me. And so out of this place of fullness, I can put myself in a position to pour out. That's what Paul's saying here. And that kind of brings us to the third theme that runs through this, which is suffering. He talks about suffering over and over here. He talks about it at the end of chapter 1. He says, let's read this verse together in verse 29. For this has been granted to you. That's the word for grace there. It's been gifted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. So he says, here's this gift. You get, you get a gift, and that gift is you get to suffer for Jesus. That's pretty remarkable. You get to suffer. Here's this, God's bringing you a gift. What's the gift? Suffering for his sake. That's pretty amazing. That's a different view of suffering. And that's really what happened to Jesus, isn't it? He stepped into suffering for us, for others. What a different view of suffering. Take up our cross, Jesus told us. Take up suffering. Knowingly, follow me and take up your cross. Why is it such a gift? Well, it's because we get to be like Jesus. We get to be like Jesus in a way that we couldn't be any other way. In heaven, you know what you can't do in heaven? You can't reach out to lost people. You, you can't suffer for them, show them love, because there's no one's ever going to wrong you again. You know, we've talked about this before. There's a special opportunity right now where you are to be like Jesus in a way you won't ever get to again. When you love people that are unlovely, when you love people that reject you, when you love people...
in difficult situations, messy situations, and it comes back in suffering to you. That's a way that you can be like Jesus, that for all eternity you'll never get that chance again. It's an opportunity. And we're not here for us. We're here for them. If it was about me, you don't, you don't deal with the messy people. It's, if it's about my comfort, just ah, I'm not gonna, that's going to be too hard. That's going to be too uncomfortable. I'll deal with the nice, clean people that uh, aren't so difficult. I'll just, I'll just not deal with this. But it's not about me, is it? It's about Jesus. And when you step into that situation, what is the resources you're drawing from? Because, I'll give you an example. Um, Jesus, somebody spit in Jesus' face. Think about that. Somebody spit in Jesus' face. Spitting in someone's face is, there's this sense where it's like, we all know, you and I, we all know, you don't spit on a person, right? Like, you spit on the ground. Like, I won't even spit inside. But when somebody spits on another person, they're saying just outwardly, just pouring out, you're not valuable, right? You're worthless. How is it Jesus stepped into that? He's so full. It's okay. He can take the shame on him. It's, it's all right. He's still Jesus. He still has the love of the Father. And what about us? Can we step in? Somebody, you know, you step into a situation, you love somebody that's, that's messy, they may, might literally spit in your face. What's going to bring you back again? Right? If it's, if it's from a place of emptiness, if you're like Madonna thinking, I want to show that I'm somebody, I want to prove... You're not going to step into those situations where you're taking on to yourself something that makes you feel so unvaluable. Right? We need Jesus behind us, in us, working through us, and telling us by the Spirit, you know, that cries, Abba, Father, God loves you. You're valuable. It does, this person that you're interacting with and you're trying to love, they don't give you value. You've got it in Jesus. And so you can step in again. And if they spit on you, that's okay. My value doesn't come from them. I'm not here for me. I'm here for them. And if that means stepping into it again and again and again, I don't get any less valuable because it's not about them. And my, my value, my love, my comfort is all in Jesus. So just to conclude and to kind of wrap up, why are we here? We're here for others, right? We're here for others. We're not here for us. What motivates us to step into that, to start serving and pouring ourselves out for others? It should not be selfish ambition or conceit. It shouldn't be something that is missing in us and we're trying to fill with Christianity. It should be the opposite. It should be we've got love, the love of Jesus already in us, certainty. And so out of that, out of the comfort of Christ, out of the participation of the Spirit, we're pouring out from a place of fullness. And that means we can step down and down and lower and lower in humility because we've already got what we need in Jesus. We've got all that we want.
And what does that lead to in the church? It leads to unity, right? Striving side by side for the faith of the gospel because if, I'm, if my needs are met in Jesus, you're, I'm not here to have you meet my needs. And you're not looking for me to meet your needs. I don't need to affirm to you, you know, you're valuable because you, you know, do this or do that well. Uh, you don't find that in me. You find it in Jesus. And I may remind you, Jesus loves you. Jesus uh, says you're valuable. Jesus uh, is the place where you find your comfort. But it's not for me. And what that means is we can have unity because we're not striving. It's not selfish ambition. It's not you against me. It's both of us for others. And we're both receiving from Jesus. We've got this unity in otherness. Let's just apply it and close. Maybe the way you could apply this is just ask yourself a question. You know, am I moving? Is my, all my even Christian activity, is it motivated out of a place of emptiness or fullness? Where is that fullness coming from? Is it coming from Jesus? And if it's, if it's from a place of emptiness, just ask the Lord, Lord, would you fill me? Would you come to me? Maybe it's that you remind someone this week. Remember, your value comes from Jesus. Jesus loves you. The comfort that you have is in, is in the love of God. Remember the fellowship that you have with brothers and sisters that really starts with fellowship, our fellowship, First John says, with the Father and with his son, Jesus. You've got that. You've already got that. And that leads into unity. Is there anything, maybe another application could be, just in terms of church body life, is there any area where we're moving and, and there's some disunity maybe because of a lack of fullness in Christ? A lack of participation in the Spirit? So let's just pray together. God, thank you so much for this time. And I do pray that this would be helpful and real and that we're just so thankful thankful to you father for sending jesus thank you jesus for loving us and dying for us taking the humble position we want to be more like you and thank you spirit for coming and making these things real to us being with us crying abba father and i pray that maybe this week at the grocery store or something uh, we could just remember we're not here for us and act in a way that's different than we would have otherwise we just need you. We need you to fill us day to day. We ask that you would, if there's anybody here just feeling totally empty, I pray you just fill them. Fill them with your encouragement and love and the Spirit. We just lift this time up to you and we love you. Amen.